0: The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Uh, We did see a few verses from Revelation chapter 2, but we are going to begin chapter 12 once again, because it's a very important chapter. The dragon and the two beasts, uh, we can see right from Revelation chapter 12 to 14. Uh, this is the story, the story of the dragon and the two beasts. Now, one of the important things uh, we need to understand is how did John's readers understand the meaning of the symbols when they came written to the seven churches so somebody would have read all this so they they would have heard the word dragon. When they heard the word beast, what did they understand? It is very important for us to understand, uh, find out that meaning. Uh, We are not supposed to bring our 21st century knowledge uh, in trying to decode this. We'll go wrong. Uh, There are many books which have been written Uh, if some of you have heard the book uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Will Return in 1988 I don't know you've heard about this book and he gave 88 reasons why Jesus Christ will return in the year 1988 and when Jesus Christ did not return in 1988 he published another supplement uh, in 1989 saying that I made a calculation error I made an error of one year so he said Jesus Christ will come in 1989 and when Jesus Christ did not come in 1989 he stopped publishing any more supplements. Now just because people this is an era of YouTube and TV and we hear messages from so many people. Uh, Just because somebody comes and says, I had a vision as to who is this dragon, and this dragon represents this, this dragon represents that, we sometimes we, we are carried away. But one thing we should keep in mind, how did John's readers understand the meaning of the symbols? That is important because this letter was not written to 21st century readers. It is God's word, but it was written to the first-century readers. First, we have to try to understand how did they understand the symbols, the meaning of the symbols. Otherwise, we will get carried away. Some sadhus will come on the TV and they'll say, God showed me in the vision. God will never contradict his word. If If you are a student of the word of God, God till now has not contradicted his word. It is only we, we struggle to understand the meaning of the word and then some people, they because they have big names and because they say, God spoke to me, dragon means this, we get carried away with those kind of meaning. Uh, I'm not here to criticize others, but what I'm trying to say is, we should be sincere, hardworking Bible students. And it, in the Bible, when the Bible has come to us in a language, in a time frame, so we need to understand how did the readers understand the symbols. And once we understand that, it becomes easier for us to apply that message as God's word for us. Uh, our application will be right only when our interpretation is right. When our interpretation is wrong, we will not be able to apply uh, God's word to our lives. It is it's important. There is light in God's word, and we should understand. Why we are going back to Revelation chapter 12? It is one of the central sections of this book. Book of Revelation, if we take, if we can understand this particular passage, I think the book of Revelation becomes easier for us to understand. So now these chapters. Revelation 12 to 14, uh, they are, you can literally say they're lodged between the trumpets and bowls judgment. We have already seen the seventh trumpet being blown. So it is in between, uh, the, between the trumpets and bowls. And when we see this, John is basically using uh, traditional images, but he's also reinterpreting the traditional images is not just, just because he has used the traditional image, it does not mean that if you want to find the meaning, uh, because John is trying to reinterpret the traditional uh, images. So once we understand that, this gives a key for us to interpret other symbols. We have to keep this in mind. John is using traditional images and he's reinterpreting the traditional images, <clears throat> not in the way people under uh, not in the way it was understood commonly. He's reinterpreting. <clears throat> in other words, he's giving Christocentric message to these images and uh, he's trying to explain that. So it is very important for us to understand the duration of the tribulation in Revelation. Once we understand the duration of the tribulation in Revelation, it helps us to, um, you know, some people will say tribulation will take now, some people will say tribulation will take after Christ returns and Christ will come once again. All this confusion is because we have not understood the duration of the tribulation in Revelation. And this chapter or this passage, that's between chapters 12 and to 14. That gives us key in understanding all these things. And one of the key verses in this entire thing is Revelation chapter 12, five to six. If we can understand the meaning of these two verses, we will be able to interpret the rest of the chapter uh, to a great extent uh, correctly. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. We, we, if we understand these two verses, that is the key to interpret this entire passage, for that matter, the entire book. Now, we saw in Revelation chapter 11, uh, the the chapter ended with three things. One, we said, judging the dead and rewarding the servants of God and opening God's temple in heaven. Uh, Keep these things in mind. Judging the dead, rewarding the servants of God and opening uh, God's temple in heaven. Now, I said... If the book, if John had ended with chapter 11, it was a perfect ending. Uh, It it, it was a perfect ending. But John has got more things to tell us. In fact, he is going back to the beginning, which we saw that. Now, because he has got more things to say, uh, we uh, we have to struggle and find out what is that he wants to tell us. Because John is going back to the beginning. So we can, um, since he's going back to the beginning, I said chapter 11 could have ended and it would have been a very fine ending. But since there is chapter 12 and he's going back to the beginning, we should try to understand that chapter. So chapter 12 is basically a flashback. Uh, he is talking about the birth of the Messiah. That's what he's talking about, the birth of the Messiah. And he's talking about the attempt of King Herod to kill Jesus. And we know the story because we know Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we have it in a historical narrative. So we read it and we have no problem. We don't struggle in understanding the message of Matthew chapter 2. But here, What John is doing is, he is using sensational Near Eastern imagery, sensational Near Eastern imagery. If we are not familiar with sensational Near Eastern imagery, if we are not familiar with the mythological story of Near Eastern world, we will not be able to interpret the symbols that he presents uh, before us. So, these imagery for us, it's of a distant past. And we are not very clear about these images. Since we are not very clear about these images, we struggle. 21st century mind, without having the background information of the 1st century mind, cannot interpret this chapter, or for that matter, the book of Revelation rightly because the apocalyptic literature itself is new to us, strange to us, and we are are not very familiar with the apocalyptic uh, literature. So we need to to understand that the story that is presented in chapter 12, the story has striking parallels in Babylonian mythology, Persian, Egyptian, and Greek uh, mythology. In all this in all this, or even in the astrological lore, if you read the stories of first century or before that, you find there are similarity between the stories that are found in these books as well as what we find in chapter 12. Now the readers, John's readers, were familiar with these stories, and we are not familiar. So it's very important for us to grasp something about the basic stories that are found in these uh, culture. Uh, Because once we know those stories, it will be very easy for us to (coughs) Interpret chapter 12. The important question, however, is not what sources John may have used, uh, but what use he now makes of them. We are not interested. What sources John could have used a Babylonian source or a Egyptian source, a Canaanite source. We are not interested. We are not very particular about those kind of sources. But what we are interested in is how he makes use of them. That's that's important uh, for us. Now, because people are not familiar with his Babylonian stories, Persian stories, Egyptian stories, and uh, Greek stories, this chapter appears to us like a bizarre story. This chapter appears to us like something unusual something strange something weird we even tend to think should we have something like this in the bible uh, so because we are not very familiar but once we come to know uh, these stories we we will say uh, it's it's interesting to know how john has employed this very same imagery in presenting Jesus Christ to the world or to his audience. Uh, So, I'm going to give you, I'm going to just tell two stories. Now, these two stories, uh, John's time, people were very familiar with these stories. You ask a small boy, grown-up man, or anyone, irrespective of their faith, they were very familiar. if you have come from a village background, there are some villages, there are few stories which are known to everybody. For generations, that story keeps circulating. I don't know off late with WhatsApp and TV whether this kind of culture still uh, prevails. But if you, had, if you had been to your village in 60s and 70s, uh, there were certain stories which were peculiar to a particular village. And in that village, right from the elderly people till the uh, uh, reasonably a small boy will know that story. If you ask, they will tell you that story. So it's important for us to know the stories because John's readers were familiar with these stories. And because they are familiar with these stories, uh, I'm just telling you the stories in advance with this background information, how can we, how do we read chapter 12? Now, without knowing this information, when you read chapter 12, it appears to be bizarre, it appears to be weird, it appears to be strange. But once I tell these stories, and you are very uh, familiar with these stories, now with that in your background, now try to ask yourself, what does John Want to convey, and it will not be very difficult for us to get an answer. So now I'm going to tell only two stories. The one story is from Egyptian mythology. So the the story is, uh, there is the goddess Isis. Uh, Her name is also Hathor, the goddess Isis. She's always portrayed with sun on her head, S-U-N with sun on her head and she was to give birth and there was a struggle uh, because uh, the red dragon will try to kill the sun, but she takes refuge in an island and she gives birth to Horus. Hathor gives birth to Horus now, the red dragon always wanted to kill Horus, but because she escaped to, uh, to an island, it was not even the red dragon wanted to kill Hathor. Keep this in mind. The red dragon wanted to kill Horus because the red dragon was told Horus will kill red, the red dragon. So the red dragon was after Horus, Uh, but because she was saved, she was protected in an island and she gives birth to Horus. Now, once she escaped to the island and gave birth to Horus, Horus will grow up and he will slay the red dragon Typhon. This is one story in Egyptian mythology. I hope it's very clear. Now I will tell you the Greek version of the story. The Greek version of the story is uh, again the great dragon, uh, Python, was warned that he would be killed by Leto's son. Now, because the dragon was told that he would be killed by Leto's son, so he was he wanted to kill the child. But somehow, though the, uh, the dragon was pursuing this pregnant Leto, she was hidden by Poseidon. Poseidon is a, is a uh, he will hide her in an island. Now, Poseidon in, uh, in an ancient Greek religion is god of the sea, god of the earthquakes. And horses. He's the god of the sea. He was a god, he is the god of the sea. Now, the name Poseidon, Poseidon itself means husband of the earth or the lord of the earth. So he protects Leto. He takes Leto and he hides her in an island, and for a brief moment or for a brief time, he submerges that island because the python was after. Leto. So once he submerges the island, the python has no other way. The python will leave. Now, after that, the Leto will give birth to two children. One is Apollo and and the other one is Artemis, the twin children. Now, if you read Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, uh, if you read Paul's story in Ephesus, you will read about the temple of Artemis. Artemis is a sister, uh, Apollo is a boy, Artemis is a girl. Uh, Artemis is a sister of Apollo. Now, in the story, what happens is within four days, Apollo will go, grow strong and he will slay the python. Now, these stories were known to John's readers very well. Uh, We are not aware of these stories. Now, I have just told you these stories as your background information. Further, in the first century, if you see the coins, uh, they had the sun god Apollo uh, on the coins. Now, when you give a coin, the child will ask, whose image is this? and they will say it is Apollo. Who is Apollo? And they will tell the story. The story of how Apollo slayed the dragon. Now, it is is in this uh, trend the Roman Emperor, they thought they are the divine uh, sons, and then we know the story as The Augustus, he had his uh, image on the coin. He is considered to be a divine image, a divine child. He is considered to be the savior of the world. Like Apollo, he was considered to be the savior of the world. So these coins were in circulation in the first century. So those people, they understood. They had this as their background information. If you go into the Asia Minor, if you study the history, if you study the narratives of first century, you'll find uh, the Goddess Roma was the new Mother Goddess. And the Roman Emperor was considered as her child. Uh, Roman Emperor was always considered as a child of Goddess Roma. And so because he was considered as a child of goddess Roma, the mother goddess, so he was always considered as the world's savior. They were looking for a savior, and the Roman emperor, because of the story that he's the child of goddess Roma, he is the world's savior. Now... In John, if once you have this kind of a background information, and when you read John, Roman Revelation chapter 12, in John's vision, again, it is ultimately Jesus Christ will slay the dragon. Now, all these emperors or the world rulers were considered as simply one of dragon's puppets. The world leaders were simply considered as dragons puppets. Now, most commentators will understand uh, such a a conflict uh, with the imperial cult. Christians, right from first century, they are always at struggle with the rulers of the world. I hope you were able to uh, get a little idea about the background information. Uh, about the Egyptian mythology, about the Greek mythology. And once you have this, and now we'll go and read chapter 12 and see how best we can understand. In Revelation chapter 12, 1, a great sign appeared in heaven. Note the word, he says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, have you seen a statue of Mary in a Catholic church? If you have noticed carefully, did you see anything similar to this verse? There will be a sun around her, uh, the halo or something around her head, right? and uh, and baby Jesus in there. Yeah, you can see a sun. Uh, uh, most of the time, you can all yes, sun. You can see. And they quote this verse as an authority. You can also see that there'll be 12 stars on her head. Uh, next time when you get a chance, you can count there'll be 12 stars around her head. So the Roman Catholic Church has taken this uh, to say that this verse signifies, uh, refers to Mary, and they use it. <clears throat> but um, we will we will see what this uh, refers now interestingly uh, john calls this a woman clothed with the sun the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head as a great sign similarly he calls dragon also a sign uh, if you read apocalyptic literature uh, symbolic women women occasionally appeared in apocalyptic uh, visions uh, now we have already seen the sun moon 12 stars basically helps us to identify the woman as the 12 tribes of israel because we saw genesis 379 then he had another dream he, and he told to his brothers listen he said I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. A few centuries ago, uh, people were interpreting this verse. You know, were built, there are a bizarre number of interpretations as far as this chapter is concerned. So a few centuries, they were not right. They said uh, sun represents the Christian world and the moon represents the Islamic world. Totally wrong, totally wrong. But they, they did, and people are there to just accept whatever interpretation uh, people say. Now we go to the, uh, keep this Genesis 27.9 in mind, basically talks about Israel, Israel, uh, it talks about. So we go to the next chapter. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Remember, in both Greek mythology and Egyptian mythology, uh, they were pregnant. And here also she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever the Israelites were faithful, they were always called as a virgin or God's bride. That's the way the Old Testament uh, represents faithful Israel. But whenever Israel was unfaithful, the Bible calls them as a prostitute. Uh, So the righteous Israel was always considered as the mother of the restored future remnant of Israel. The righteous, the faithful Israel was always considered as the mother who will give birth to the future Israel. Now here, she was pregnant. She was about to give birth a child. You know, in John's readers, uh, or John's uh, audience, when they heard the story, she was pregnant and cried out in pain and she was about to give birth. They will be so glued to the story, they'll be thinking, my God, what's going to happen next? We don't have that excitement because we are not aware of the background information. Because they know what happened to Hathor, what happened in the Egyptian mythology when the red dragon was about to slay the child. What happened in Greek mythology when Leto was about to give birth? So now they are waiting for John's story. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And John is going to speak about another dragon. Because they know the dragons that were present in the Egyptian mythology and Greek mythology. And John is using those imagery and he's going to give a Christocentric meaning to the symbols. 21st century mind cannot interpret this rightly. It has only a first century mind Can interpret these images. So, John is going to talk about a dragon. We saw the dragon in Egyptian mythology. We saw the the dragon in the Greek mythology. Now, John is using that image and let's see how he is using. Now, then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon. It is enormous. Make a note of it. Enormous red dragon. Seven heads. And ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Now, when you read the word dragon, uh, keep this in mind: serpents and uh, dragons—they uh, were all they're interchangeable. Uh, they understood like that. Uh, don't think dragon is a very different uh, creature. So they understood. Uh, you can use the word serpents. Uh, sometimes they called dragons. Now, if you have seen the letters, letters to the churches, we saw about the, the cult of Asclepius, and we said that is the symbol which is being used even today in the medical world. Uh, so they were all uh, aware that uh, because people used to worship the serpents. Now serpents are an object of disgust in many cultures. It is It is an object of disgust, but at the at the same time, many traditional cultures they also worshipped serpents, and for we uh, in India, it's not a it's not a difficult for us to understand uh, because in many in some cultures they worshipped uh, serpents, but John says this serpent or this red dragon is the ancient serpent. When we come to verse 9 John will tell that this dragon or this serpent is the ancient serpent. The moment he says ancient serpent we know he's talking about Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent uh, deceived Adam and Eve. Now John is talking about seven heads. Enormous red dragon with seven heads. Now, ancient Mesopotamian myths, uh, they portrayed seven-headed monsters. Now, in the biblical tradition also, we know the serpent Leviathan had many heads. Uh, It is not new in the biblical literature. In Psalm 74, 14, uh, the Bible says it was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan. Leviathan is a dragon. Leviathan is a sea monster and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. Now, in the Canaanite mythology also, uh, the seven-headed dragon was a common thing. Now, these dragons or the Leviathan or the sea monster, they symbolized power the pagan culture uh, because they were considered to be very powerful god. Now, it is in that background we should always study um, the parting of the uh, the dividing of the Red Sea. How powerful is our god? Because in the ancient cultures, the sea god was very powerful the Leviathan was very powerful and Isaiah 27 uh, 1 says in that day the Lord will punish with his sword his fierce great and powerful sword Leviathan the gliding serpent Leviathan the coiling serpent he will slay the monster of the sea Now, in Egyptian mythology or the Greek mythology, the sea god uh, in the Greek mythology, the Poseidon, was so powerful. Now, John is telling something that your god is more powerful than all the sea gods. Your god is more powerful. That's the message he's telling us in this chapter 12. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Now there are people who tend to interpret 10 horns means 10 nations, seven crowns means seven federations and all that. But that's not the way John's readers understood. Now we go to the next verse. This is an enormous red dragon uh, red always symbolizes the. F- uh, it is a very fierce. In other words, is a blood-sucking creature. In other words, it'll kill people. Uh, there'll be a lot of uh, blood flow. That's the kind of image the red dragon depicts. Now we go to the next verse. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, and flung them. The earth, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Interesting. Interesting in the sense the dragon is not interested in killing the woman. Both in Egyptian mythology, Greek mythology, the dragon is not at all interested in killing that pregnant lady. Here also the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child, the the child, the moment he was born. Now the huge size, I said, it was an enormous uh, red dragon and you can understand the size of the dragon by this description, its tail swept. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky. Just a flick of his tail. Just he moved his tail and dislodges a third of the stars and sends them hurtling to earth. Now Jewish people viewed stars as angels. So, Jewish people recognized that Satan's revolt had long ago led to the fall of many angels. That is a Jewish story, and we also know the story from the Bible. Now, Peter also says in Second 2 Peter 2.4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So it is all talking about a cosmic event. It's all talking about something that's happened in heaven when one third of the angels were just pushed to the earth. Now, John is giving a Christocentric application to this false story for all that has happened now that's the reason that satan his entire he used his entire force to oppose jesus mission on earth if you understand the story very carefully or if you if you think about the story the mission that Jesus carried out in this world was against great, great opposition. Satan and his and his adversaries, or his fallen angels, they were totally, totally against Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They somehow wanted to stop his mission. but they fail. So when we read stories like what Herod did, when you understand the story, it only makes our understanding richer. It is not just Herod killing the two year old children, uh, two year and below children. It is something that the entire uh, dark forces were against Jesus. Today, we also encounter dark forces, Uh, especially if you are in the ministry, you can experience these forces. Uh, I don't want to get into those details. You cannot do God's ministry without confronting the evil forces. Jesus confronted the maximum brunt of the evil uh, forces. So we go to the next verse. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron setter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, because we have this little phrase, who will rule all the nations with an iron setter, the moment we come across this, we know this has been taken from Psalm chapter 2. And we know this refers to our Lord Jesus. You read Psalm chapter 2 and you read this verse, you will you, know, you will only worship our Lord Jesus, the great king, the mighty king, the ruler of all the earth. He is the ruler. Now, If you read the Roman uh, writings, the Virgil and other Roman writers, they always talked about a divine boy who would bring deliverance to the world. There are stories talking about a divine boy who would bring deliverance to the world. So the first emperor, Augustus, he quickly filled the role of the divine emperor uh, in Savior, in imperial. Uh, ideology. So in other words, he said, I am the divine child. I am the savior of the world. And that's how you had those coins which I showed. So that's the kind of uh, imagery that was there in the Roman imperial ideology. But in Revelation, the emperor is just a puppet. Because Jesus is the king of kings. He will rule all the nations, all the rulers of this world, all the kings of this world. They are just puppets. Jesus will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. While the emperor is a puppet of the dragon, Jesus is the divine leader of a group persecuted for rejecting the imperial cult. Uh, that's the reason people find it very strange that we follow somebody who was crucified helplessly on the cross. But we follow him knowing that who Jesus is. Now, if you in the Greek story, in the Greek mythology, and in the Egyptian mythology, the child was sheltered until he returned to slay that dragon. He was sh- sheltered. Somebody gave shelter. It was in an island. Uh, Hathros found shelter in an island and Poseidon gave uh, shelter to Leto. But in our case, our child, or our, our child is seated at the right hand of God. Our child is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Because if you read Psalm chapter 2, now the, the dragon has not been slayed. Dragon will be slayed at the second coming of Jesus. He will be slayed. Now, but now he's not being sheltered in an island. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is ruling over the world. Now if you read Psalm chapter 2, if you read Isaiah chapter 9, if you read chapter Micah chapter 5, uh, you, we can make out all this indicates Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his messianic enthronement. It is not talking about a literal birth of Jesus, but it's talking about the literal, uh, the messianic enthronement. Who is Jesus right now? He is the ruler of the world. We saw that in Revelation chapter 1 itself. Now, John has already said that dragon signifies Satan. And we can clearly say the child represents Christ. So, John We say the the child represents Christ because of this phrase, who will rule all the nations with with an iron scepter. Uh, Now, the dragon's eagerness to devour the child explains the violent opposition that Jesus met during his earthly ministry. He did his ministry in the midst of severe, severe opposition. Jesus did his ministry. No, nobody, none of us is facing that kind of opposition that Jesus faced. It all began with the slaughter of the children in Bethlehem and culminated when he was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. Now, Satan's attempt to devour the child has been uh, nullified. Satan could not succeed because the child is snatched up to God and to his throne. Revelation twelve five is very clear, and our child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, the gospel story, John is telling the gospel story in a condensed manner in this chapter uh, 12. He's also talking about the adversary, Satan. He's talking about his defeat. And he's also talking about exaltation of Christ. When we read in Philippians, we know the exaltation of Jesus Christ at the name of Jesus, what happens. So he's presenting everything. in The gospel story is presented in a condensed manner in chapter 12 with lots of sensational uh, Near Eastern imagery. It is nothing but the gospel story which is being presented uh, in the imagery form. So we go to chapter 12, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Now, In both the mythology that I I presented, that the Egyptian and the Greek mythology, the woman escaped to an island. But now, here, the woman fled into the wilderness. In the beginning itself, I said, John is reinterpreting the traditional images. He is not just using those images the way it has been used. So, as I said, we are not even interested in the sources from where he has used those images, but how he is using those images. So, the woman, uh, in both the stories, they fled into an island. They took shelter in an island. But here he says, the woman fled into the wilderness. The moment it is wilderness, John is basically recalling Israel's Exodus. Basically when they came out from Egypt, they went into the desert. He's talking about wilderness. The prophets have always promised about a new Exodus. The first Exodus we, we, as we read in the Bible when the Israelites were brought out from Egypt and before they entered into the promised land they went around the wilderness. The prophet said, there will be, there will be another second exodus. In Isaiah 43, a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is using these scriptures. And he's applying the meaning of these scriptures to his images. In Hosea chapter 2, 14, it says, Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I will lead her into the wilderness. I will lead her into the wilderness. Wilderness is very, very um, significant and it's it's a term which has got a lot of meaning for Christians and in the New Testament. Uh, When God led his people from captivity, from Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness until their redemption was complete. In other words, until they possessed the promised land, they they wandered in the wilderness. Uh, Now, in the New Testament also, the second exodus is represented as the interim period between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming. This the wilderness for the New Testament believers is from the first coming to the second coming of Jesus. Now, when people, when they read uh, this kind of passages, uh, in Isaiah forty three, Hosea two fourteen, some of the Jewish people they literally they literally withdrew into the desert to await the arrival of the Messiah. They literally, they they went into the desert awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. Now, I will give you a few New Testament references. Keep this in mind. We are waiting for the second exodus and we are in the wilderness. The time span is between the first coming and the second coming. Now, keep that in mind When you have to, when you read 1,260 days, it is just a symbolic. It is not literal. It is is the time period between the first coming and the second coming. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, 26, so if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So wilderness was very um, important for the Jewish people. If the people say here he is in the wilderness, Jesus says, do not believe it. Uh, John uses uh, in his gospel, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. John 3.14 in John 6:49, he says, Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. So in Revelation 12:6, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. John is announcing a new exodus, a spiritual new exodus. In John one twenty three, that's where we read, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. It is the second exodus. The second exodus has begun with the first coming of Jesus, and it will end with the second coming of Jesus. <clears throat> now, these numbers in the apocalyptic literature uh they were more of symbolic in nature than having the literal meaning if you sit and count 1260 days from the time jesus was born now the days now it's not the right thing it is basically a symbolic uh, not the literal meaning now all these figures this figure also was taken from uh, from the book of daniel uh, but daniel also took this figure from jeremiah and he also applies that figure, he reapplies. So these are not exact uh, numbers, but it is talking about the kind rather than the length. When you read this uh, 1260 days, you should keep in mind it is not literal 1260 days. 21st century mind will always try to solve the puzzle. I will be the person. No, if you try to solve, that's the intention of the uh, this number is not for us to solve but for us to understand it basically talks about the kind Uh, we are in the wilderness there will be persecution and we will have struggles with the rulers of the day Uh, it is not in 1260 days it'll end it'll end only with the second coming of jesus now When you read 1260 days, it begins with Jesus' exaltation. That's what we find in chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. He came, he died, he resurrected, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. That ascension marks uh, the beginning of this. And then there is a salvation that is coming. Uh, That's where we see in verse 10, as we go down, we will talk about the coming of salvation. Remember, the dragon has not yet been slayed. Remember that the the divine son, the divine child, has to come and slay that dragon, that ancient serpent of Genesis three, has not yet been slayed, and that will be slayed at the second coming of Jesus. So this period, in between period that we see from 11 to 17, till the serpent is slayed, it talks about persecution of Christians. People can take one verse here, one verse there, and say Christians will be taken up into heaven. Uh, People right from the time, from the first century, Christians have been persecuted. Uh, I'll try to uh, give you a few incidents, or at least one or two, as to how Christians have been persecuted uh, right in the 21st, 20th century. And uh, it's been part of our mission. If you are a follower of Jesus, we should be ready for persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for my righteousness. Now, the first-century readers were undergoing persecution, and when they heard the story, they were so excited because, in the end, Jesus will slay the dragon. So, what matters, you know, the the victory matters for us uh, much more than our persecution. When we understand that. our god will slay the dragon victory belongs to our god uh, so we will be uh, glad i think i'll finish it there now we uh, john 16:33 says i have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world Uh, Jesus was talking about the persecution, We might be thinking of other things, but Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God in his mind. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now if you have understood this, this six verses rightly, now John is going to shift his focus to heaven. Now, what's going to happen in heaven? Now, these events we should remember so that when we come next Wednesday, we are going to talk about the war uh, that's taking place in heaven. Okay, if you have any questions, you can ask. If any of you have any questions, you can ask. Um, uh, at least if you can tell me uh, whether you have understood this uh, chapter 12, 1 to 6, uh, because it's one of the most difficult chapters for interpretation. Uh, but once you understand the ancient Near Eastern imagery, does it make you to does it help you to understand this better? This chapter, yes, Pastor, definitely. Thank you, yes, yes, Pastor, yes, Pastor, yes, Pastor. Pastor. Okay. If you have all um, understood, and if you have no questions, uh, we will say the closing prayer. We will read this together. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. Glorious Father, we want to thank you. We want to worship you, O God. You are seated on the throne, and we are waiting for your second coming when you will come and slay the ancient serpent, and you will give us that relief, and you will keep us with you, O God, where there will be no more evil, no more tears, no more cries. We bless your name. Thank you, our Savior God for what you have done for us, for the agony that you underwent, for the opposition you faced, yet you loved us. We bless your name. Bless each and everyone who has attended this Bible study. Oh God, as we study the word of God, draw us closer to you, O oh God. Help us to know you more and more. We pray that we'll have one desire to serve you, to live for you, to bring glory to your name. We have been created for your glory. Teach us to enjoy you all through our lives. Not the worldly things, O Lord, but you, you. You be our object of desire. You be our object of satisfaction. Bless each and everyone, bless them with good health. Be with them, O Lord, be with their families, be with them in their workplaces, bless their work. that they are doing with their hands. I speak a word of blessing over the work that they are doing, oh Lord. Thank you for protecting us from COVID-19. Thank you for healing our bodies. Thank you for being our God, a living God, a loving God, a caring God. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ unfailing love of our Heavenly Father and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.